Hey everybody, Muskrat here with a quick note before we get into the episode. Today's adventure is a direct sequel to Aside 5, Faith. So if you haven't heard that one, or if you haven't heard it in a while, I strongly encourage you to pause and go listen to that first. There is a link for it in the episode description. Timeline-wise, though, this aside is set immediately after the events of Chapter 31, Secrets of the Gemini, and those following the main storyline will definitely want to catch this little bridge vignette. Both parts of Julian's story were written and recorded by Caleb Lynn, with story and audio editing by me, Jay Muskrat. Music in today's story was used under Creative Commons license, and additional credits can be found in the episode description. As always, and even a bit more than usual today, Droughtland is intended for mature audiences only, and listener discretion is advised. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you all in two weeks with Chapter 32. Until then, crank it up, and let's all enjoy Book 1, Aside 7, Certainty. Julian hated flying. Soaring through the air was not his idea of fun, and after the lift fell, who could blame him? Yet here he was, flying out of the mine on an overcrowded zeppelin, trying his damnedest to blend into the decking. He wasn't entirely sure how he ended up on board after the battle between Harold's squad and Augury's rabble. In the chaos of the crowd rushing the zeppelins, he had lost his crutch, his lifeline. Julian had a vague memory of being roughly tossed on board by some kind, unknown stranger. He hoped that person, whoever they were, made it on board too, for their sake. As much as he hated the idea of flight, he knew his only chance of survival was to be on this Zeppelin. His only chance of seeing his sister again. She was the only one who knew how to help with his condition. The hunger had gotten bad, and Julian was never without it. At first, the jerky, clean water, and pills had worked, slowing the raging fire of ravenousness to a low burn. They were not helping much now. Since he first found out about his affliction, his sister, the good reverend doctor, had repeatedly told him that the hunger could be managed. He trusted her. He had to. It was the only thing that gave him hope anymore. She had told him that the best thing he could do was keep living his life like normal. Despite Bubbles' insistence, he never did return to his job digging in the depths of the mine. The thought of returning to where he ruined his life by drinking fouled water made his skin crawl. Backbreaking labor is easy to come by in Backerhold, and Julian had no trouble signing on with a diesel pipeline maintenance outfit. He quickly adapted and found that he liked it. Pipes were giant puzzles whose mysteries it was his task to unravel. It felt almost rewarding and gave him a sense of pride. Better still, he could do this job from the first three levels of the mine. Stay out of the depths. At least, until the lift collapsed. The ravenous craving had swelled when his leg was severed, as if he yearned to consume enough flesh to compensate for the loss. 
After Evan had cauterized what was left of his leg with a heated blade, Baja, the kind soul, had helped him walk out of that pit that should have been his grave. Before he died, Baja had given Julian a lozenge and a tart laced with something called cinnamon? It had helped for a time, but before long, the hunger returned. His mind bombarded him with intrusive thoughts, and his stomach rumpled near constantly. He had to make it to his sister's clinic. She would know what to do. Looking down over the railing, Julian could see the destruction the quake and the desert suns had brought on Backerhold. The city was in shambles, like it had been flattened by a giant hand. Fires smoldering in the wreckage of homes and businesses spilled their smoke to the sky. Voices could be heard from time to time, even at this height. But Julian couldn't tell if they were screams of pain or cries for help. It was hopeless. Julian wondered idly if his sister could have survived such destruction. He had no idea if her building was still standing, let alone if she was even still alive. One building that was standing was the Gemini. Julian could see that while the facade had suffered some cosmetic damage, it seemed hardly affected by the cataclysm all around. That was reassuring. That, at least, gave him hope. Deftly, the pilot brought them gently down to just above the roof, nearly even with a small balcony. Thanks to the Gemini's uneven, inspired roof, the airship couldn't be brought any lower. Tensions were high on the Zeppelin, and survivors began streaming off the ship the moment the lines were cast. Before long, those in back began to get impatient and push those in front. Julian clung tighter to the railing, gritted his teeth, and tried to stay steady in the press. Behind and around him, terrified people shoved and shouted, trying to be the first down the descent wire and back on solid ground. For a terrifying moment, he feared he would be cast from the ship by the excited crowd, that it would fall again. The stampede of Minutemen and civilians rose in intensity, crested, and then receded altogether. Finally, the last of the unruly mob dropped down the wire and headed for the upstairs windows. Ah. <sighs> Julian breathed a sigh of relief and steadied himself. Now that the crowd was gone, he could take his time getting down to the roof. He didn't know how to work the descent wire, nor had he ever tried such a jump, even back when he had both legs. No, there had to be another way. He quickly looked around and found what he was looking for, a rope tied high up on the balloon. He gave it a few half-hearted test pulls, and when he was sure that the line would hold him, he prepared to swing out into the void. Okay. All right, all right. Okay, Julie. You got this, he said aloud to himself, wrapping his wrist around the rope for added grip. Oh, you really don't, my guy. A voice rang out behind him, clear and commanding. Julian turned to see a red-headed tree of a woman standing a few paces away. Behind her, a much shorter, wildly slim blonde stood at the ship's wheel. She was absently stroking a majestic orange cat, which was wearing a set of tiny aeronaut goggles, as one does. 
The giantess moved closer to him, arms outstretched. You shouldn't put your weight on that. According to Katarina... Hello, that's me, the blonde remarked. I thought you said you didn't want to talk to him. Oh, <laughs> right, sorry. According to my wife, the pilot, if you pull too hard on that rope... Salatra, honey, it's not a rope. It's a line. We we've covered this. If a rope has a job, it's a line. Words mean things, darling. When the taller woman shot a look at her wife, Julian realized that the couple was having a conversation they had been having for a long time. After a moment, the serious redhead turned back to him and continued in a tone dripping with mock annoyance. That line is one of the emergency balloon disconnects. If you put your weight on it, the whole starboard side of the ship will drop from the balloon and we'll all crash into the street below and die. Salatra stepped forward closing the distance between them, and in one swift motion took the line from his hands. Julian gladly let her take it and watched as she tied the line off and returned to her wife's side. After a moment, Julian cleared his throat and asked, <clears throat> I don't suppose I could ask you to toss me over? I have somewhere I need to be, and the sooner I can be on my way, the better. Psst! Salatra scoffed and didn't answer. Being tossed was a non-starter. Where do you need to go? Asked Katerina, her voice betraying legitimate concern. My... My sister has been working and, well, staying at a clinic across town, built into the wall in the medical district. I have to get to her. Silence. Please, she's all I have, and I need to see her about my condition. Salatra's face contorted. Your condition? Are you contagious? What? Uh, no, at least I don't think so, Julian answered, truly unsure. Once again, the women shared an intense look before turning their attention back to him. The bespectacled feline licked Katarina's cheek, in sharp contrast to the backdrop of war and destruction occurring around them. Anyway, he continued, she's brilliant, but she's no fighter. I bet I'm still double the threat she is, even with one leg. Lavender cauterized that for you, the bigger woman said, more a statement than a question. Lavender doesn't know who I am, Julian responded. Evan the postmaster seared it with a hot knife. He smacked his thigh with the hand that wasn't gripping the railing. The pain nearly made me pass out, but at least I'm not bleeding out. His answer seemed to concern the redhead, but before she could ask another question, the blonde dropped the cat, clapped her hands together, and wordlessly set to pulling levers and adjusting dials on the control panel. Katerina, what are you doing? Salatra asked, her tone neutral, yet somehow annoyed. We're taking him to his sister. I love a story about families being reunited, and we have to go across town to our store anyway to get the dime-the stuff. The medical district is barely out of our way, so why not? A tense moment followed that seemed to drag on for a few beats too long when Salatra broke the silence. If you think this is the right thing, then I'm with you. The scowl on Salatra's face softened to the closest thing to a smile she was capable of. 
Your big heart is why I married you. Well, <laughs> that and your ass. I married you because of how hefty you are. <laughs> Katerina giggled as she pulled the zeppelin away from the Gemini's roof. They shared a sweet kiss that made Julian turn away, blushing. Julian reset his iron grip on the rail as the ship gained altitude. For a long while, he said nothing and didn't take his eyes off of the slowly approaching wall. He was content to fly the whole way in silence. So, what are you going to do when you get down there? Suddenly, Salatra was at his side. For someone with her heft, she moved silently. I haven't figured that part out yet. As if on cue, his stomach growled so loud it could be heard even over the war and the wind. Sorry, he said, holding his free hand to his stomach. I'm so hungry I can barely see straight. She placed a strong hand gently on his shoulder in an attempt at sympathy, extended, then retracted just as quickly. Silently, she fit the leather harness around his waist and his good leg. Though there was a strap for his ruined leg, Salatra made no attempt to tighten it. Julian appreciated that kindness. He turned to face her and saw for a moment genuine concern before she covered it with a scowl. Look, you're not going to make it far without some help. I can't go with you, but I can improve your odds. She turned away from him, walked to the opposite side of the ship, and placed both of her mighty hands on the railing. For a moment, she went perfectly still. Her breathing slowed, and she swayed slightly. She seemed to be preparing herself for violence. With a sudden burst of fury and a cracking of wood, she ripped the railing from the ship, bolsters and all. From the ship's wheel, Katarina let out a quiet giggle of delight. <laughs> it's not perfect, but it should help you get around. You really won't make it far hopping on one leg, she said as she returned to Julian's side and handed him the makeshift crutch. Thank you so much, he began. Don't thank me yet. We still have to get you on the ground. Speaking of which... Honey, aren't we getting close to the medical district? Ah, Katerina snorted, woken from whatever daydream she was having. Oh, uh, sorry, right, um, we are here. Mm-hmm. Salatra grunted in approval and attached the harness to the winch with a large carabiner. Julian looked down, orienting himself. They were close. His sister's clinic was just around the corner and up a flight of stairs. Smoke from a smoldering fire blocked his view, but he could almost make out the shape of the building. Bubbles could still be alive. Okay, this is perfect. Lower me here, he said, taking a deep breath and shaking his hands to work out his nervous energy. 
I hope you find your sister. Good luck, kind stranger, Katerina yelled. You're gonna need it, Salatra said, releasing him and letting him dangle on his tether. After just a moment of enjoying watching him sway, she worked the controls and the machinery of the winch began to whine. It was a slow, undignified descent. It wasn't fast or graceful like the power armor drop everyone else had seen Harold execute. With a gentle thud, his foot touched solid ground. Quickly, he untethered himself from the ship and unclipped the buckles from the harness. When he finished his task, he looked up to where the ship hovered thirty feet above. Salatra leaned over the edge, and Julian yelled to her. Thank you for all your help, and tell your wife she's an angel! He wasn't even sure his voice had carried over the chaos around him, but Salatra made a gesture with her free hand that Julian took to mean, don't mention it. The ship's engines fired back up, and it slowly passed out of view. Julian was left alone on the street, and he sighed deeply in relief. <sighs> he didn't have far to go now. clinic for the terminally ill was broken and stood wide open. Calming his screaming anxiety, Julian limped to the door and waited, peering through it while pressed against the wall to one side. His eyes had not yet adjusted to the darkness, and he couldn't hear anything coming from inside, but he could smell something. Julian had never smelt something so delightful, and his stomach rumbled deeply, longingly. What could be inside that would make such a pleasant odor? Had his sister been cooking a feast when the quake hit? All he could smell was pot roast and stegosaurus tenderloin and triceratops. For a long moment he sat there, dumbfounded by the conflicting reports his eyes and nose were giving him at the sight of the broken door and the presence of the best thing he had ever smelt. His brain demanded he run from this place. It was all too weird. His heart, however, urged him to check, to make sure she wasn't in there. He can't have come all this way for nothing. Ricky, Baja, and all the others had died giving him this shot. He could not squander it. <sighs> Julian took another deep breath, relishing the surprisingly sweet air, and crept through the door as stealthily as he could. To the right of the door, he found the switch that worked the incandescent lights his sister preferred, 
and flipped it. The office was in shambles. His sister's instruments and furniture were scattered around the room. The lovingly organized shelves had been ripped from the wall and broken medicine vials mingled their contents on the floor. Blood pooled here and there around the disfigured but unmistakable corpses of desert sodden cultists. There was no sign of Bubbles. But he was not alone. Julian immediately recognized the hairless, sallow skin of Randy, and his blood froze. The creature was crouched above a dead cultist, munching away pleasantly. Julian tried to back up, to retreat into cover before Randy saw him, but it was too late. Those eyes, so full of malice, had already turned on him, and it seemed only a matter of time before the beast would be on him. Instead of charging, Randy stood up, slowly, his joints clicking and crunching, a hunk of meat held out in one hand as he lurched forward. Julian was terrified. He could not move, couldn't strike out, couldn't do anything but watch as Randy covered the distance between them. Julian's fear held him there as Randy stood face to face with him. The meat in the creature's hand dripped with viscera as Randy took a tearing bite. He made a pleasure sound at the back of his throat and extended his hand out as though he were offering Julian a piece of fruit. The bright red apple of gore in front of him smelled like a fine feast, and Julian realized that the smell that made his stomach growl had been the smell of carrion. Was that why he was so hungry in the mines? The odor of death? It had been a day since his last proper meal, and he was famished. The Calvec had fed them, but that pittance barely scratched the itch. He had to eat something. The way the light glistened off the meat made it look mm, delicious. How could one little nibble of something so beautiful be a bad thing? Without taking it from Randy's outstretched hand, Julian shoved his face into the hunk, ripping himself a piece. He didn't chew. Chewing seemed unnecessary. An extra step to feed it. Instead, he threw his head back and swallowed the raw flesh in a single gulp. It's fine. One bite is fine. Going back in for a second bite, he took the meat from Randy's hand, who made no attempt to stop him. Blood and drool was seeping from his mouth now, but he didn't care. This was ecstasy. Julian, no! cried a familiar voice from far away. He did not stop. He couldn't stop. He dove back into the meat, barely taking notice as Randy let go and fled from the voice. A gunshot rang out in the enclosed space, piercing his ears. That got his attention. He turned to see Soraya, his sister, standing at the door to the cell that had been Randy's. She held a single ball and pin pistol, the muzzle smoking from its one spent shot. Dropping the gun, Bubbles took a tentative step forward. You're alive! He yelled excitedly, his words muffled by the viscera spilling from his mouth. For a moment, 
He forgot the gore in his hand. Of course I'm alive. The tabernacle made sure this building was earthquake-proof when they built it. No one thought to make the door explosive-proof, though. So when those damned cultists broke in, I let Randy out to fight them off and locked myself in his cage. She gestured at the destruction and the bodies around the room with the ring of keys in her other hand. I... I guess it worked. Her face was pale, like someone who had seen a monster, and her shoulders hunched like she had a heavy pack on. He could see the first lines of tears creeping down her face. Julie, she continued, please, for my sake, drop the heart. Slowly, without meaning to or even registering his movements, he took another bite. Blood dripped down his cheek, staining his already filthy shirt. Her face contorted like she had been struck, and for a moment she looked like she may fall over backwards. She took three sharp breaths, contained herself, and took a few steps forward with her arms stretched wide. When she continued, her voice had taken on a removed, calculated tone. Baby brother, I can see from here that your symptoms have gotten worse. I take it you were in the mine when the quake happened, which means you would have seen a lot of death between here and there. The stress and the pain of losing your leg flooded your system with adrenaline and all sorts of other chemicals. Exactly what we don't want. Julian took a third bite. Warm. Wet. Red. Put the heart down, Julian. Let me help you. Raw meat, especially cardiac tissue, is the catalyst that will trigger the next stage of the fouling. Full-blown mutation. He wasn't so sure he believed her. He felt amazing. It's not too late, Julie. You can still come back from this. I think I can reverse the process, keep you from mutating like Randy. Julian could hear her, but the words coming from her mouth increasingly became mixed and muffled. I can get us out of here. The clinic has a utility cart meant to be used as an ambulance. It's not much use on Backerholt's winding streets, but if we can get to a gate, we can just drive away from all of it. You have to drop the heart, Julian, please! She screamed accidentally, her composure broken. He dropped the heart, and it hit the floor with a cold slap. His breathing was ragged, and he could feel the skin on his back stretch, ripping in places. All around him, the world narrowed until his only view was of bubbles. She was still talking, but he couldn't understand her words. The sound of his sister had been replaced with a rhythmic pounding. His ears were assaulted by the sound, and he brought his hands up to shield them, but it didn't matter. He could still hear it. He knew where the sound was coming from, knew how he could get it. He could see himself doing it too, tackling bubbles and ripping the noise from her chest would be so easy. Even without his leg, he felt so powerful, so strong.
strong in a way he had never felt. He didn't just hear it. He could smell it. Taste it. Her heart would be the sweetest meat of all. Before he could stop himself, he was rushing her arms wide to make escape impossible. Soraya tried to dodge by jumping over him, but he caught her legs and drug her to the ground. Fighting for her life, she kicked, elbowed, and punched, but he barely noticed. He could have ended it right there, just a small twist of her neck, and he could silence her resistance and have the noise, the warmth, the red. He grasped the key affixed to her waist and ripped it free. He was crawling, quickly, his makeshift crutch forgotten. The cage was close. The only place he might be safe. The only place she would be safe. The heavy metal door slammed behind him, and he summoned all the mental fortitude he had left the locket from the inside. He twisted hard on the key, breaking it in the lock. He couldn't get out, but more importantly, he couldn't hurt her. What was left of Julian howled, blood and heart tissue flying from his mouth. At the window, Reverend Dr. Soraya Musa watched as her brother contorted and writhed on the floor of the cell. The spinal plates were starting to develop, and his hair was already falling out in clumps. This was the quickest, most violent transformation Soraya had witnessed, or even heard of. Julian could have killed her easily. Tears filled her eyes, and she put her hands to the glass trying to reach out to him one last time. The creature that had been Julian saw her. It crawled vigorously across the floor, clawing its way up the wall. Leaning against the window, it panted, tired from the effort. I... I love you, Julian, she yelled through the glass as best she could. I should have told you more, but I do love you, brother. The glass between them had begun to fog up from the breathing of the beast. Julian brought a hand up and slowly, carefully, drew a small heart in the condensation. Bubbles knew she had been right. Monster or no, Julian was still in there. For now. Looking at her brother, Julian, little Julie, she wiped the tears away containing herself. The creature was almost waving, like he understood. She knew that he loved her, too. As a final kindness, she pulled the lever labeled food and watched as the thing that was Julian turned and devoured the huge hunk of meat which fell onto the cold, bloody floor of the cage. Journal, Soraya Musa, Anchor Day, plus 41, Mark, 632 Sons. The backer hole clinic is compromised. Most of the equipment and supplies have been destroyed. Specimen 002 is missing. Specimen 3, Julian.
lasted the longest of any research subject thus far. But in the end, he too succumbed to the fouling. As everyone does. Eventually. The consumption of raw meat, in particular cardiac tissue, appears to be a conductor of sorts for the infection. Perhaps as a result of the psychological toll of acknowledging one's own inability to resist any longer, and therefore, one's own surrender and failure. Further research is needed to determine to what degree the infected retain their personalities and morals, but Julian's actions seem to prove that something survives despite the mutation. It's too late for him, but his sacrifices saved my life. I will not waste the chance he gave me. The earthquake, destruction of the clinic, and subsequent loss of research subjects is a definite setback. Despite this, I am confident that we can craft a cure. I just need more time. We will be free of this affliction. I'm certain of it. sight. I'm Katarina. I have an orange cat. He wears goggles. I'm hot, but I'm dumb. All right, I'm in character. Let's go. Aha, here's a clap. And a finger clap. <sighs> that line is one of the emergency. Lavender cauterized that for you? The bigger woman said, more statement than a question. Lavender doesn't know who I am, Julian responded. Evan the postmaster. Oh, gross. Well, that was gross. Once again, the women shared an intense look before turning their attention back to him. The bespectacled feline licked the cat a cheek. That was a fucking mouthful. 